So welcome to the Investment Cuddle, episode 18. I'm Gary and I'm here with Philip. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about inflation. And as part of that conversation today, we're going to have a look at inflationarypressure.com, which is a website looking at all sorts of commodities and things that we buy against measures of inflation. So we'll come to that a little bit later on. So Philip, start us off. What is inflation? Inflation is the change of price relative to a time in the past. So you can have, if there's more money chasing after an item, the price of the item tends to go up. And when there's less money chasing an item, the price of the item can tend to go down with supply and demand. And that change, a relative change in prices over time is known as inflation or deflation. Inflation if it's up, deflation if it's down. Okay, so... At the moment, are we in a time of inflation or deflation? Depends how you measure the inflation. Uh, depends on the answer you get. There is uh, most ways people measure inflation at the moment is by a, a bag, a collection of goods and services that the average person buys regularly. But within that collection of items, you'll find some things have gone up, some things have gone done nothing, and some things have gone down, and then they average it out. So depending on whether you're looking at a very global, broad set of items or specifically small set, depends on the answer you get. Okay. So you mentioned measuring inflation earlier on. and You talked about a bag or I've heard it classed as a basket of goods. So what's the – because some people would have probably heard about CPI, (laughs) the consumer prices. (laughs) Don't start with – I can't. Should I say that again? Oh. So what what's the usual famous names for inflation? So there's probably some famous inflation phrases that people have heard of, such as in here in the UK, the retail price index, RPI, or the consumer price index, CPI, measures of inflation. The RPI measure of inflation is the older historic one that was been around in the UK, regularly published since the war, since from the late 40s, and it's been back back calculated for all the way back to the Victorian periods. And this was a measure of everyday goods and services you buy down the shop, weighted according to how frequently the average household buys them, and then using the arithmetic mean to come out with the average inflation for the products. CPI is a bit different. It is more, the statisticians say it's more accurate because instead of using arithmetic mean, which is, add all the things together and divide it by the number of items. It's using the geometric mean where you multiply all the numbers together and take the square root or the cube root or the nth root of the number of items that you're averaging across. Uh, And it's meant to statistically, it's meant to give you a far better measure of a large data set. The other potential issue is CPI in the UK is the things they've taken out that they don't measure anymore it's very limited when it measures things to do with housing and house prices or rent or things of that nature. So some of the things, at least in the UK, that have gone up recently, constructed specifically to make inflation look low, also some of the conspiracy theorists say. And I guess, do we worry about the measure in terms of whether we think about RPI or CPI? Does inflation matter anymore? Well, yes, I think it does. As we discussed in some of our, in fact, in our first podcast, if you're not, if your investments aren't at least matching inflation, they're losing value over time. They are getting less and less. So you're losing the purchasing power. So unless you have absolutely zero inflation, 
yes, you need to worry about inflation because it allows you to say whether your investments are gaining or, or losing money in real purchasing power. Right. Okay. So I think if we think about examples of inflation, you know, we talked earlier on about inflation or deflation. I think if, if we think about inflation, I've heard people talk about inflation and shrinkflation. Shrinkflation, that's a new one on me. I've not heard that one. <laughs> so, well, the, the, the perfect example I was going to bring up was... Gary's going to bring up his chocolate bar. Absolutely, I'm going to bring up my chocolate bar. <laughs> well, it, how, it be before you know, came back. Well, you know, everybody says, oh, that was bigger when I was a kid. Well, yeah, it was big because you were small. Yep. So it's all relative. The bigger you get, the sm- <laughs> your chocolate bar stays the same size. <laughs> but it looks smaller. But actually, um, we were you know, we were fortunate enough to get a snooker table off our neighbours last year during the uh, period that won't be mentioned. And all the snooker balls and the, and the pool balls were in a celebrations tin. And it was actually a tin, you know, rather than the plastic ones you get when you get your box of chocolates at Christmas. And I didn't really think anything of it. But then I kind of looked at the bottom of the tin at some point and thought, that's not quite right is it so anyway just out of interest because i'm that sad we had some old plastic tubs of you know whether it's celebrations heroes you know other chocolates are available but they were about 600 grams those plastic tubs so any guess what size this actual metal tin was in terms of weight a kilogram it was one and a half kilograms of chocolate yeah wow (laughs) so you know you turn around and going so that tin Mm-hmm. originally would have been you know that tin originally would have been let's say five pounds you go in the supermarket at this christmas you know the last christmas and you spent five pounds but you got 600 grams of chocolate this christmas and whenever it was that that tin originally had chocolates in it which is probably a while ago now you know that was probably five pounds and you're sitting there going that's why those little plastic tubs don't last for five minutes because it's not because we're eating more chocolate it's because we've got a, almost a third of the original weight and that, to me, is shrinkflation. Yes. I say that's, that's a brilliant example of companies trying to hide inflation because the inflation messages will still pick it up because you will do the price per kilogram of the chocolate. So the fact that your tin is smaller would not be able to be hidden in the inflation data. But to the average man going around the shopping centre or the supermarket, you might not notice until you get home and realise... I've only got 20 sweets instead of 40 for the same brand. Well, here's, here's one for you, though, Phil. You could compare that same brand across different time periods, and going back, it will have been a tin. Now, it's a plastic tub, so the uh, you're actually, uh, in terms of the effort that they put into that, probably is much less now. Yes, um, and, and, and you're not at the weight for those chocolates. You're not considering how many of them are toffee, for example, which are a lot cheaper to produce than the chocolate. Quite possibly. But these are all ways that companies try to hide the everyday consumer from the fact that inflation is there and they're actually paying more for goods than they were in the past. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was trying to explain to the children because I said we were going to talk about inflation. And they kind of looked at me, and I was like, well, okay. Another example is, <laughs> well, you know, you know, the, kid, the kids are enthralled, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but, 
but when you put it when you put it in terms of money and sweeties, pocket money and sweeties, mm-hmm. it's amazing how they will suddenly wake up to the fact that this, there's a conversation here and there might be a sweetie in it for them, you know, yeah. or some extra well, it's pocket. Like, it's like the concept of a penny sweet. You mean, do you know, you're going, do you know, I could, do you, how many sweets can I buy for a pound then? You're going, a hundred, and you're going, wow. He goes, yeah, but they're not, they're not, they cost more than a penny now. Well, yeah, crikey, I'm, I, I'm so old, I was buying half penny sweets, but that's uh, that's amazing for a 27-year-old. Well, that, no, that's um, in our youth, there was high inflation. Well, quite. Just going to say something to make you feel old. All right, go on then. Say, say something to make me feel old. Okay. So in Back to the Future, Marty McFly travels back 30 years. If Back to the Future was released today, Marty McFly would travel back to 1991. No, no seriously no. not. No, no, it'd be, it'd be 80s. 1991? Yeah. All the 90s is 10, then the oh, noughties. Wow. Yeah, you forget going, it can't, oh yeah, it's because we're now in the 20s. The roaring 20s. Yeah, okay, right? I don't like that. Just That really does make me feel old. Interestingly enough, 1991, one of the number ones was Hail and Pace uh, for, <laughs> for Comet Relief with a song called Stonks. Yes. <laughs> All right. Hail and Pace. Were they ever in the charts? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the joys uh, of the British recording industry. It's amazing. All right, so so these five sweeties we were talking about. Yeah. So you've got five sweeties for a pound. And I said to the children, well, actually going to the shop and the sweets are now pound twenty, but you still get five sweets in a packet. And I said, yeah, so we did the percentage. Some of them are just doing percentages. So we did the percentage increase. And they're like, right. I said, well, what happens then if you go into the sweetie shop and you pick up your packet of sweeties, and they're a pound. So you walk up to the counter, you hand over your pound like you did the the week or the month before. So there's only four sweeties in the packet. Coming back. So you turn around and say, well, what percentage change is that? So it's still a 20% change, but you they're not charging you anymore. So in some respects, it's all it's not just about the fact you've got inflation or shrinkflation, because both, both are inflation. Yeah. But one feels different, you know, it's got a different feel to it because, oh, well, I'm just yes. getting slightly less product. So I'm not feeling like I'm massively out of pocket. And I'm, you know, and so I thought that was just an interesting way of trying to get them to understand what happens. And I think, you know, the, the, the classic phrase from one of them was, well, that's not fair. And you say, well, uh-huh, life's not fair. Get used to it. <laughs> but there, there we go. Did you explain uh, inflation is necessary to pay off the debt because almost all money is created out of debt? I didn't want to go down the road of explaining to them that, you know, you can actually, uh, you know, some there's good debt and bad debt. There's a podcast about that. Yeah, exactly. There is. So, Philip, we've gone through a few kind of interesting examples there around inflation, shrinkflation, etc. But we wanted to kind of focus on a few more examples so we're going to use the Inflationary Pressure website, inflation, inflationarypressure.com. Do you want to give us a bit of history and um, and what that website's about? Yeah. So this is a website that has taken all of the uh, inflation data from the Office of National Statistics in the UK, um, normalised it to 1987 um, to give a very long run range of how 
inflation and the makeup of the inflation measures have changed over time. So you, there you can look at how fluid inflation has changed, what's the RPI range, what's the CPI range, what are all the individual food groups that make up the food inflation group, what's goods and services like how much it costs to buy white goods such as fridges, freezers, how they've changed over a very, very long period of time, average wages indexed over that period. And what they've done, they've indexed it. So the price in 1987 is indexed to 100. So you're just looking at the relative percentage change to the current day for that item. And there's quite a lot of interesting things there when you look at, for example, when I was talking earlier, some things have gone up a lot. Some things haven't really gone up a lot. And there's some items that have gone down a lot, yet the average of inflation is it goes up slowly over time. So probably okay, one of the best best charts to look at is the CPI versus RPI all item inflation measures. Because this chart's quite useful in the fact that it shows you how they differ over time. Now, for most people, there's a very small, month on month, there's a very small difference between RPI and CPI on average, where RPI is always slightly higher than CPI. And because this data in inflationary pressure goes on since 1980, you've got well over 30 years of looking at how CPI and RPI have changed over time. And it becomes really, really clear that the longer it is, the time span you're going over, inflation measured by our RPI method is much higher than it is for CPI. So when people say, does it matter how I measure it? Yes, it can do. And that's probably a great chart if you go and have a look at it, of which um, you could see, because it's very obvious, one is quite a lot higher than the other by the time you've had thirty over 30 years. But those cumulative, very small changes in differences between the two add up. You talked about the disparity between RPI and CPI. Do we know what's driving that? Because you said these graphs start at 1987 and then they go through. And if you if you do look at the charts on the website, you'll see, you know, from, I don't know, let's say arbitrary, no, 1997 or something, there starts to be a real disparity between RPI and CPI. What's driving that change? I think what you're seeing is by the time you get to about the mid-90s, the very small differences you see every month between the RPI and CPI data now, because they're cumulatively adding together, are now big enough that you can actually start noticing the difference. Because even though it might only be point, point 0.1 of a percent difference every month, after about 15 years, that's, that equates to quite a big difference between the two. When you get to 20 years, it gets an even bigger one. So that's probably why after you've got about six, seven years into the early 90s, you can start to see the gap between them keeps getting bigger and bigger. They follow the same shape, but because of that always being 0.1% difference, it just grows. Right. Sorry, maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not understanding that then. The 0.1% difference, what's the driver there? The way it's measured. What? So uh, the statisticians will say it's because it's using arithmetic mean instead of geometric mean, which isn't as statistically accurate. The cynics will tell you it's because CPI doesn't include the things that tend to have high inflation rates, like anything to do with housing and education. Things that have gone up a lot are not included in that measure of inflation. Right. Okay. So so that's the bit I think I was aware of, was that it was almost there's a different basket of goods. So therefore, I was just interested to know, is, is there anything within that basket they've left out? And I think you've answered that in terms of those items, yeah. assuming that's... But that's only one explanation for it, as you say. Yes. And as you say, it might be a more sceptical view depending on how you view things. But there is no doubt it is very different over the long term. Yeah. I mean, by by 2021, we're talking about 
a, a significant disparity between CPI and, and RPI. Obviously, RPI being higher than CPI. So um, if taxes go up with RPI, stuff the government pays goes out, goes out with CPI. So they save over the time, over the long term. Yeah, I think that's where I'm kind of getting at, is you turn around and say, well, if your pension, for example, used to be measured in, or your increase was measured in RPI, and that's been switched to CPI, you can see why, because it's a it's a slower, steadier increase. And if you're if you're the one increasing that pension payment, you've got to pay less, less haven't you? Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I was just going to pick out another one, where another one they also have on here is, as well as the inflation measures, they've actually got a couple of charts which show compound interest. So they have got 3% compound interest growth, 5% compound interest growth, and 7% compound interest growth. And one of the things that lots of people find quite difficult is they can't, can't imagine what compound interest looks like. Any of those graphs are quite handy at showing you how compound interest works. So when you're looking at those there, you can see that it always keeps rising and as it gets longer and longer over time, the steepness that they start to rise keeps going up and up and up and getting steeper and steeper. Effectively, it's exponential. So that's often the useful graph to see if people understand then what does compound interest look like or compound growth look like. Um, I've just picked up 5% compound interest growth versus council tax, and that's quite interesting. There was a bit of a spike around the early 90s, which I think was down to the poll tax. But after that, Council tax pretty much went up very close to 5% every year until about uh, 2010, where the government obviously had political problems and it just went flat. That follows a 5% compound growth quite well from 1990 till about 2009. As if to say, yeah, council tax was just going up at a fixed rate every year, 5% almost from Mm. about 1990. (laughs) Another one I picked up is in now changing to we're looking at council tax versus average earning index, so a measure of how much wages are increasing, you can clearly see that the council tax quite well correlates and follows the average earning increases. So when average earnings go up a bit, council tax tends to go up by a similar amount. But when average earnings seem to plateau, council tax seems to plateau. The other one is if we then move toward RPI against average earning index, you can generally see for most of the time, uh, wages are going up slightly faster than inflation. So you've sl- got slightly more purchasing power every month. It's more than slightly more though, isn't it? Well, yeah, but every month it goes up slightly more, but over 30 years, that equates to quite a lot. So if you, so because on a, on a month by month basis, on average over the last 35 years, wages have gone up slightly higher than RPI inflation. Effectively, you've got more, over the longer term, you've got more purchasing power, certainly over 35 years, compared to 35 years ago. Yeah, and, and I think that's interesting because I don't know whether we, f- do we feel better off than we did 30 well, years that, ago. Yeah, and that's probably where we're, what we're spending it on. It's probably more discretionary spend than, say, necessity spend such, such as on food. Because if you plotted RPI against, say, total food, it's the other way around. RPI has generally gone up most of the time faster than food. There are small periods of time where food has gone up faster. But over a long period of time, food has gone up a lot less than general inflation. What were you saying earlier on, Keith, about Back to the Future? You know, if you went back 30 years from today and you're in 1990. 
one. It's always difficult because I guess we're all still 27. It's difficult to remember. Well, you have to put it into but, reference of like going, how many hours did I need, the average person need to work to buy a specific item to normalise it? That was the point I was trying to make, Philip, is it's how do you feel? Do people feel better off now than they did in the 90s or do they feel worse off? Because I know you're saying, well, you can look at the data. But actually, a lot of how people are, how people perceive things is actually, am I, am I feeling better off? And I guess I would look at it and say, well, actually, most people are driving German motor cars and living in big, what yeah. look like big houses. Big houses. And I'm, I'm saying most, most people, that's a generalization. But you get my, my point. The thing I saw the other day was that somebody was getting their takeaway food delivered. And the car delivering the food, you know, when I was younger anyway, was a beat, beat up beat old up Datsun Panda. or something. Well, yeah, beat up Panda, beat up Datsun. Does anybody know what Datsun is these days? Probably not. But there was oh, basically a um, black... Cheap car. Yeah, it would have been a cheap car. But the other day I saw, you know, this guy was delivering in a a nice... And I don't know what class Mercedes is because I've never owned a Mercedes. But put it this way, it was not a car that I own and I'm not likely to own. It was a large, fairly new... Mercedes. So just in that very single data point, I think the delivery driver's probably feeling better off than he would have done in the 90s. But he may not appreciate it. He may not realise, yes. Yes, it's all relative, isn't it? Because that's a very point. If you had plotted average earnings against buying a car, you tend to find that car prices went up a bit until the early 90s, late 90s, sorry, and then just dropped and then basically not moved since the mid-2000s, whereas wages keep going up. So you can keep buying more and more car now for the same amount of money compared to what you used to. Well, yeah. BMWs, let's say, not that I would accuse anybody on this show of, of owning a, such, a, such a vehicle. That was a real luxury car when I was growing up. So the closest I think anybody in our street got to it was uh, one of the Triumph Dolomite-type vehicles. You know, that was kind of... That was that was within within, you know, sort of reach of a bmw but it wasn't it wasn't a, a bmw but what you see now is the person that would have had you know the the sales car the sales guy's car um you know would have been a sierra cavalier that kind of thing now it's an audi a4 a6 so yeah so now it's a it's an audi a bmw or something else and that shows that pr- cars are essentially cheap yeah, you're getting a lot more car for the same money as you probably used to pay 30 years ago. Yeah, and I think I think that's so. Whilst you might be feeling like cars are expensive, actually, in relative terms, what you're finding is you might be spending a similar amount of money, but what you're getting as a, as a vehicle, the quality of vehicle, is a lot better. I mean, cars, yeah. cars and, anyway are fantastic, yeah. aren't they? And you've upgraded on brands, yes. So another one we're looking at now, which is RPI inflation against rail fares. And this is what you often hear about every year in the news, that basically rail fares are going up faster in inflation. As you can see on that chart, since the early 90s, yes, they very clearly have been going up faster than inflation. But if you change that and go to average earnings against rail fares, you find out that, no, they tend to follow uh, wages. Certainly until the early early 2010, they were almost perfectly correlated with um, average wages. 
after that, they seem to have gone up. And one method, one one analogy as to why that might be is due to the fact that up until that moment, rail is still reasonably a, uh, a heavy employment industry, and it pays quite a lot of the staff are paid quite what are left paid quite well. So they probably do get wages that go up in line with the average in the workforce. It's something has definitely happened since about 2010 where they've kept going up, not but not relative to wages. They've not tracked wages like they used to. No, I think it's a really, it is definitely a, sh- a, a shift mm. in the fact that, you know, in the, in, the, in the first decade of this century, they were cheaper than average earnings. And like you said, since kind of 09, 10, they are what looks like creeping up. And that's a good point to mention is it's not like the rail fares have changed. They're going up at about the same rate they always have gone up. What seems to have changed is from about 2010 onwards, wages haven't grown at the same rate they used to grow at. In fact, for the last two years, they've pretty much been flat which is probably the more important thing is wages in the UK, just certainly since the financial meltdown, just haven't grown like they used to. And, and I guess, you know, going forward, it's going to be interesting looking at the price of rail fares because you haven't got the demand at the moment. Yeah. And whether that will fully return is a debatable point. I suspect in the fullness of time, demand will come back, but we just don't know. And no. you can see wages are tailing off. And fares, I guess, yeah, it was early Jan, they announced that the rail fares were going to go up again by a certain amount. I can't remember the, the, the exact amount. But as you said, it's usually in, a, in line with inflation, so they say, apart from when it's not. Well, um, it's the preferred measure if you want it to go up. It's, the, it's not the preferred measure if you want it to keep it low. RPI when it's going up. Yeah, but I think that's a really interesting one to look at the rail fares because generally however you get your news but let's just assume you're listening to radio four at six o'clock and once the bongs have gone past they say oh they interview a load of people on the railway station complaining about their price rises and you think well actually does is it really a significant increase or is it just following something and i think what you're showing is that well it kind of has followed average earnings but there's definitely been a You'd probably say in the last decade, they've probably got a fair point because it's yeah. higher than average earnings and either measure for inflation. It's well higher than high, inflation, yeah. It is. It's not a pretty picture, is it? It's significantly no. higher. When you look at over that extended time period, it's really horrible if you're using rail a lot, put it that way. The last chart I was going to look at here now is RPI inflation versus children's clothes or even male men's clothes or women's clothes is quite interesting because this is an item which went for a period of stagnation where it just didn't go grow very much at all. It then had a period of deflation where it dropped and now is in a, play, in a phase of inflation from the 80s to the very early 90s you could see that children's clothes were rising at the same rate as rpi inflation but throughout all of the 90s they then pretty much didn't move they just stayed in a very very constant trade range 
And then from the early 2000s, they started decreasing and they hit a minimum around about 2007, 2008. And then from about 2010 onwards, they've been going up at a rate which is faster than RPI inflation. Now, if you change that and now look at it from average earnings versus children's clothes, you can see that actually, again, children's clothes are now actually rising and have been rising slightly faster than wages since about 2010. And I think, and that's pretty similar whether you look at men's clothes or women's clothes. It's a clothes phenomenon. And it's sort of suggesting maybe that although we outsourced most of our clothes production in the late 90s, which caused the prices to drop, now maybe in the countries we've sent them to in the emerging markets, um, they're not as cheap as they used to be anymore. And they're actually now importing inflation. Yeah, I think there's a distinct shift there, as you say. Hmm. And it doesn't seem to be, you know, the dreaded the dreaded B word. I was thinking whether it's a currency effect, but looking at that, I don't think I I don't think I would put it down to currency. It doesn't immediately stand out as currency if it is, because it's for such a long period of time, almost like twelve, well, ten to twelve years, it's been going up at a pretty constant rate. The pound's not been that stable. It's been up and down like a yo-yo in that period, from my memory. Yeah, and I guess from my point of view, if you, uh, you know, you know me, I can I can draw a straight line graph out of a single data point. But you know, the clothing is definitely, you know, the inflation rate there is is higher than the retail prices index. I mean, it's obvious, isn't it, from from yeah. the chart that that's the case. But I mean, again, you come back to the how does it feel? You know, if you go down to, you know, Marks and Spencers. Primark, you know, there are other retailers available. Wherever you buy your clothing, does clothing feel like it's got more expensive in the last 10 years? No, not really. Well, certain things in, yeah, certain things I've noticed shirt prices going up. But if I look back to when I was buying them the first time in the mid 90s, they still seem relative, they still seem cheap compared to what I was paying then, compared to what I was earning then. Yeah, we won't ask Keith to talk about how many shirts he's lost in the last 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) well let me tell you uh my clothing is uh is is far cheaper than it was in the 90s because in the 90s i was shopping on saddlegate and uh now i'm at primark a yeah well that's because you're 27 now Keith. so you've 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 seen the error of your ways and you're shopping more cost effectively so I noticed you just you just put China up on your uh, comments. What's the thought? What's the thinking uh, there? I feel, as... I feel that that's got to be the biggest single factor in that clothing. Um, oh yeah, chart. Quite probably. Yeah, it's getting inflation because we outsource so much of it there. And now they're seeing inflation, and even when you're outsourcing it to Vietnam and Bangladesh, they can't do the volume China used to do. So you're still going to get some level of inflation. Chinese-made clothes going up. I suspect. Yeah. Yeah, so you know we've covered a little bit about inflation there. We've covered the ways you measure it, and also looking at a range of goods against those measures, and also average earnings. So I think if you are interested in what we've talked about, we're going to make the charts available as part of a YouTube video, or if you're just interested in looking at what other goods services you can compare 
then check out inflationarypressure.com and you can uh, play with that data to your heart's content. So thank you to Philip and we'll see you next time. This programme has been presented for information and educational purposes only. None of the information or content of the programme is to be taken as an offer, opinion or recommendation by the programme's hosts or guests to buy or sell securities, nor is it intended to provide legal, tax, accounting, commercial or financial advice. Opinions and comments are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investing involves risk as prices go up or down based on a number of factors. Always consider consulting a financial professional before investing.